Good morning. <laughs> uh, today's uh, message is um, actually a continuation of Pastor Brent's summer series on Jesus being the uh, who is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the uh, lion, and he's also the lamb. And so that is actually our meditation verse from Revelation 5, 5 through 6 that Jim read earlier. So thank you for worshiping with us here this morning and um, those who are with us online as well. My name is Arthur Gott. My wife Linda and I have been members of Byfield Parish Church since 1994. And as Jim mentioned earlier, in case you're wondering, Pastor Brent had a conflict. Uh, it's the, the Bridge Father-Son weekend uh, rafting trip, and he thought he was actually going to be here Sunday morning to preach, but found out the actual rafting trip is today. So therefore, my friends, you have a unique opportunity to hear my first sermon. <laughs> uh, depending how it goes, it could be my last. Uh, one and done, so to speak. So before we... Uh, let, before we get started, uh, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, I just pray, Lord, that for the next 20, 25 minutes, you just evacuate all our worldly thoughts that we have right now. And believe me, we have a lot. I pray that you open our ears, open our hearts, and give us mind to understand your message that you have prepared today. And we ask you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. The last time I wrote a paper was in college in the early 80s. How do I write a sermon? All right, so I found a website for beginners, and they give you five simple steps how to write a sermon. Number one, find a scripture verse. Yeah, I, I can do that. Two, two, study that scripture verse, and I can do that as well. Three, write an, write an outline. Outline. I've got to write an outline. Four, write a manuscript. A manuscript. And five, study the manuscript. I got to tell you, I didn't do any of that. <laughs> if I had to do this all the time, then I'd come up with a system. But I'll tell you what I did. So listen very carefully. I get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit take the lead. So today's message that you are about to hear that Pastor Brent was going to preach was actually birthed in the waiting room of Flagship Motors, a Mercedes-Benz dealership in Linfield on July 8th, Thursday morning. We had to have Linda's vehicle service, so I decided to uh, uh, bring my Bible, my laptop, and, and my notes because I knew it was going to take a couple hours, and I said to myself, what a better way to, you know, with the downtime and study God's Word. So I picked a spot around the corner, away from that annoying TV, and I happened to find two chairs and a table in between. Perfect. I could set up shop, saying to myself, this is going to be a spirit-filled day. By the way, do you ever notice nobody talks to each other anymore? Everybody has their heads buried into their cell phones. People have lost the art of small talk. Um, and then someone sat down next to me, and we made eye contact. We, we introduced each other, and he said his name was Bill. He then asked me, what are you studying? <laughs> the Gospel of Matthew, what else? <laughs> I says, it's a, it's a passion of mine to study God's Word. It's an inexhaustible search. He go, boy, that's, that's pretty deep. So, so um, I began to share with Jim, I mean, uh, Bill, um, Jesus Christ, 
that, that Jesus Christ answered all my deep-rooted questions about life. Like, why am I here? Where am I going? What's my purpose? What's my place? He defeated, he defeated death for me, and he's going to take me to where he is, and it's going to be a wedding feast, and all i got to do is take him at his word. Bill says to me, and where in the Bible does it say that? <laughs> so I says, John 14. He goes, can I read it? I'm like, yeah, sure. So I gave him, I gave him my Bible, and, and he, he started reading John 14. I'm saying to myself, who is this guy? I mean, I, I, where did he come from? Is he an angel? Is he real? <laughs> and I'm waiting for him to get done. He read the whole chapter. I couldn't believe it. So when he was done, he gave me my Bible back, and then Bill told me he goes to Calvary Christian Church in Linfield. I said, oh, yeah, I, I know where that is. And so I began to share with Bill two of my divine encounters that I've had with Jesus. And I asked him if it would be okay, and he said yes. Um, so this took about an hour, and then an attendant came around to him and told him his vehicle was ready, so he had to go. Bill told me, he goes, our, our conversation that we've just had is going to last me a lifetime. He goes, you know, strangers are only friends that you haven't made yet. Ah, thank you for that eternal friendship we have with Jesus. Oh, the Holy Spirit is working in a Mercedes-Benz dealership. Now, I, now I'm going to just pause here for a second. Why do I like Mercedes? I'll tell you why. It's the logo. Have you ever seen the logo? It's three blades within a circle. Each blade represents a person of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and together, they're one. And that logo is right in front of that grill. And when you drive that car, God's going right before you. So that's all I want to say about that. So if, if you guys are going to go out and rush and get uh, Mercedes, I want a royalty fee on that, on that uh, understanding. So, all right, so let's, let's get down to business. So anyway, this is where today's evangelical sermon came from. And so, and it so fits what Pastor Brent was going to preach today about Jesus being the lion and the lamb. Um, so, okay, in the heat of our battles, how do you let God's will prevail? How do you let his will prevail over your own? And that's really what I want to go with today's message. God has put in my heart something I discovered in Linfield. He has given me an example how to follow, how our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did it. Jesus Christ came to do his Father's will, and that's why he was sent. So what, is, what does that look like? And so when Bill left, I resumed my study of Jesus' agony, which he was going through in the Garden of Gethsemane. Have you ever wondered what transpired between Jesus and his Father when he prayed three times? In the Gospels, there are rare instances where the Father's voice is heard at Jesus' baptism, on the Mount of Transfiguration, and there's another text where Jesus' Father's voice is heard, and that's John 12, 28. Jesus asked his Father to glorify his name, and a voice from heaven thundered. I've glorified it, and I'll glorify it again. So audibly, there is very little recorded what was spoken by Jesus' Father, our Father. Yet we know Jesus talked to his Father all the time. So in the garden, his three prayers are what piqued my interest. Did Jesus' Father really speak to him? So I believe the Holy Spirit was present, 
inactive earlier in Linfield, and, and now he's given me some insight into Jesus' agony. I mentioned earlier that this was going to be a spirit-filled day. All right, so let's face it. You, have you ever had to make gut-wrenching decisions in your life? What school do I accept? What job do I take? Do I need surgery? Or is the person I'm dating now going to be my spouse someday? We all have these tough spiritual matters, right? These tough decisions to make. Uh, but some of these decisions revolve around spiritual matters. Some, um, is this temptation so strong that I'm ready to cave in? Or this person needs me, but I'm just too busy. Or you're under attack for doing the popular thing. Or God is calling me to do something and you're wrestling with whose will will prevail over it, mine or his. And again, so this is the last piece that I want to focus on. And this is what Jesus was praying about at Gethsemane as I was reading this in the waiting room of a car dealership. So Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, but he's also the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's Israel's Messiah, the long-awaited conquering king who will deliver Israel from his enemies. Messiah will destroy Rome and elevate Israel to a position of national fame, as so many thought. The tension for Jesus to act has been building and building from his disciples and followers. It's Passover. It's fever-pitched. Many, many travelers have come to this pilgrimage. It's estimated that two and a half million Hebrew and proselytes have made the trip to celebrate Passover. Their feelings ran high during this event. While commemorating their old deliverance from Egypt, their nationalistic feelings were longing for them to be delivered from Rome. Pilate, he's got troops garrisoned just outside the temple, quartered in the Tower of Antonia to prevent any riots. The crowds love Jesus, but many of the chief priests, elders, and scribes have been filled with fury against Jesus for his I am statements and the miracles that he's performed. Jesus is proposing a threat to their way of life. And now they are questioning his authority. They thought he was demon-possessed. Now they're ready to kill him. Jesus is Israel's king, says so above the cross. How will he save Israel? As the lion from the tribe of Judah, will he deliver? He knows all this. His father's plan of salvation and redemption have been in place before the foundation of the world. Prior to this, his hour had not yet come, but it's upon him now. What will he do? He's God, and yes, he's a man. Will Jesus use his own divine prerogatives to save himself, or will he submit to his Father's will? The future of the human race is on the line, and it's his time to act. Here is the struggle that he is going through. In critical, in, it's a critical point. In minutes, our men will be upon him. What will he do under fire? So have you captured the scene yet? So let's turn our today our attention today to scripture verses Matthew 26 verse 36 through 42 but I'm going to read this in context um, I'm going to be reading from the NIV because this this is the this is the version that I had with us I know in the pews that you have the ESV um, but I'm going to be reading from uh, the NIV because that's what I have with me on July 8th and so the wording may be a little different as you follow along. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I pray and go over there. 
He took Peter and two sons, Zebedee, along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here with me and keep watch. Going a little further, Father, he fell with his face to the ground. My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Not as I will, but as you will. And then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could not you men watch, keep watch for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then he went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is possible, not possible for this cup to be taken away from me, unless I drink it, may your will be done. And when he came back, he found his, them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So we left them and went away once more and prayed the same thing the third time. And then he returned to his disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near and the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go here. Here comes my betrayal. So today's verse that I really want to highlight from this chapter is verse 39 and 42. So verse 39, going in a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken away from me, not my will, but your will. Again, I say, what passed between him and his father when Jesus prayed this prayer? This will be revealed later. The place where Jesus prayed was alone, down on his knees before God as father. This was a secret place of prayer. Lying prostrate in prayer indicates the agony he was in. His humility is real, depending on his father for full support. There is no indication that Peter, James, and John are in a position to help, even though they say they would never disown him. The title that Jesus gave to God is my father. Think about it, as thick as his agony is, is, as dark as the darkness is, God is Jesus' father. He knows that his father will hear him, John eleven forty two, And that's a good lesson for us. When a child grieves, where else should they go for support? Notice that Jesus calls his suffering a cup. It's not a river, it's not a sea, but a cup, which he will soon see the bottom of. Tribulation, if you've, if you've gone through such, it's highly concentrated, it's highly intense, but it's a cup compared to eternity. Jesus begs that his cup might pass from him, or at least be avoided. This intimates, even though that Jesus is God the Son, he's also a man. And truly as a man, he's adverse to pain and suffering just like us. This is man's will to shrink back to that which is grievous and to desire prevention and a removal of that which ails us. Matthew Henry comments, the law of self-preservation self rules over us unless it is overruled by some other law or will. Therefore, Christ admitted and expressed a reluctance to suffer. Does any lamb willingly go to the altar, or at least knows what awaits him there? Jesus prefaces his request by saying, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, not as I will, but as you will. If God be glorified and man be saved, is there another way, is there another way out of this? Jesus is not sinking his own will, but his father's. Jesus is inquiring about an alternative. Hey, dad, is there another way? His entire mission has been to the submission of his father's will. 
to his, his Father's will and no one else's. Jesus' human will is not adverse to the divine will. He's resolving his own will with his Father's will. Hey, there's a struggle going on here. Let's face it. Um, yeah, this is a wrestling match. As the second Adam, Jesus is doing what the first Adam failed to do in the garden. In this garden, Jesus is relying on the trustworthy, trustworthiness of God, his Father. He is, put, he is being put into a position to trust his Father, even though it's going to hurt, even to the point of death. This is a bitter cup God his Father is putting into his hands. John 4.34 says, My food, says Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish the work. So we need to ask God for the grace to help us endure, to help us endure our trials. And by the way, always ending your prayer and your will be done is an acceptable prayer. Verse 40, Jesus engages his disciples to keep watch with them. They're sleeping. They were to learn from Jesus, and they too needed to learn how to deal with agony. Later on, they're going to find out what it will cost them to follow Jesus. Those who profess to love Jesus and not to deny him and even pledge to die with him are sleeping during Jesus' most critical moment. In the midst of Jesus' agony, they are checked out. Personally, I think the agony before Jesus was not the affliction itself, but settling the matter before it happens. His friends are disengaged at the very moment of Jesus' temptation. And so Jesus gives them a gentle reproof. He speaks as one amazed. They're not even keeping watch for one hour. Do you remember how Jesus awoke to their distress while they were on the boat during the tempest? Now Jesus is in distress while they are sleeping. It's just reversed. Jesus asked them to keep watch with him. God duty was split in three-hour watches, and Jesus was only asking for an hour. And so Jesus' enemies are alert, well-armed, heading his way, while his friends are asleep. The plot to arrest Jesus is underway, and Judas is leading them to Jesus. He knew where to find him. Gethsemane is a favorite spot of Jesus, and Judas knew it. Jesus knows full well that he'd be betrayed, and at the Passover meal, he dipped a piece of bread and handed it to Judas. Scripture says Satan entered into him. Jesus then told him, go, do what you have to do. In Hebrew, the name for Judas means hired gun or assassin. Names have meaning, and that's a good point. Anytime you're, you're uh, studying a name in the Bible, a proper name, whether it's a name of a person or a name of a place, look up the meaning to that name. It'll give you some insight into the passage that you're reading. Verse 41, watch and pray so you'll not fall in temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak, said Jesus. The hour of temptation is drawing near to Jesus' followers to disbelieve and to distrust him, to deny him and to desert him, and to renounce there that they even know him. Their whole world is going to be crashing in. Their three-year relationship with Jesus will end up in denial. While they are sleeping, they lost the benefit of joining Christ in prayer. Watch and pray against this present temptation to drowsiness and security. We ought to be praying God to deliver us from the sleepy devil. Oh, how he loves to allow us to sleep so that our problems would go away, as if they would go away. 
So when we find ourselves entering into temptation and in agony, we have need to work against it by watching and praying. This is a spiritual battle before us. We need to be alert. So Jesus finds their excuse. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Jesus knows that we're all flesh. As the spirit is free and disposed to do that which is good, the flesh is adverse and indisposed. Our nature is a sad reminder that we're indeed weak and infirm. Verse 42, this is the second scripture verse that I want to highlight. Now it gets interesting. Notice that Jesus prays a second time to his father, but his prayer now is slightly significant here. Instead of inquiring if it is possible, may this cup be taken away from me, not as I will, but as you will. Now he prays, if it is not possible for this cup to pass from me, unless I drink it, may your will be done. Oh, what just happened? Something fundamentally changed here. What is going on? What just happened? Jesus goes from praying from, from possible to not possible? Where did that come from? May I suggest that Jesus heard from his father the first time he prayed. Jesus heard from his father that this was not possible. This is what Jesus had been praying for, confirmation and answer to his agony. Jesus prayed and received an answer. God his Father had said, it's not possible for this cup to pass, my son. You have to drink it. Now Jesus has information he needs to proceed. Okay, Dad. All right, Dad. If it's not possible for me not to drink from this cup, let your will be done. Jesus now has his answer from his Father to stiffen his resolve to carry out his Father's plans. Jesus went from asking if it was possible to if it is not possible. He heard from his father it was not possible, so Jesus repeats what he heard from his father and prays for his father's will to prevail twice. This is what was revealed to me in the waiting room of a Mercedes-Benz dealership. Jesus is being strengthened by his father to stay the course, push through his agony. In Luke 22:43. An angel was sent to Jesus, appeared and strengthened him. In anguish, his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. He was being squeezed all right by the olive press, and he felt it. The word Gethsemane means the place where the olive is pressed. It was here that oil was extracted from pressed olives and were collected and used to keep the lampstand lit in the temple. So olives were placed in trays and they stacked the trays together. The more pressure, the more oil. Oil is a picture of the presence of the Spirit of God. Olive oil is used for anointing. Jesus is being pressed all right to his Father's glory to execute his Father's will. Just as the imagery of the olives being pressed so the oil will flow in the temple, so too Jesus is being pressed which will allow the Holy Spirit to be poured out and light, and light those who believe in him. Verse 43, Jesus prays the third time, saying the same thing he previously prayed the second time. If it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. His third prayer repeats twice his father's answer. He affirms the matter. He is now prepared 
strengthened in spirit to go into combat. Verse 46 says, Jesus says, rise, let us go. My, here comes by Maitreya. The lion is now ready to become a lamb. So how do we know he heard from his father? John 18, 11, Jesus commands Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the father has given me? Right there, he just said it. This soldier, God the son, is under his father's command and Jesus is executing his father's will. Jesus is in command of the situation and he tells Peter not to interfere. I have to drink this cup of inequities. Isaiah 53, 6. Whose inequities are there? Are they? They're ours. Those are our inequities he's drinking. Jesus had to drink our wickedness in order to redeem us. The Lion of Judah acts not like the lion he is, but becomes his father's lamb on the Mount of Provision. He is taking away his father's wrath from us. The innocent dying for the guilty. You know what? It takes a great deal of strength not to do naturally what you can and want to do. Jesus knew full well that his father, he could call on his father, and he would once put 12 legions of angels at his disposal. But how would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it has to happen this way? Says Jesus later in 53. Combating to say no to self and yes to his father's will is what Jesus was dealing with. He was weak in the flesh, and now he is strengthened in spirit to execute his father's will and go all the way through. He is ready to go the distance. He is ready to go and to deliver this plan that was put in place once again before the foundation of the world because he heard from his father that it was not possible not to drink from this cup. He has to drink it. His agony is now over. Jesus is now ready for combat. As the lion, he is now ready to become the spotless, sacrificial lamb of God. This is God's doing. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in full agreement. But this time, as Jesus was led to the cross, carrying the wood upon which he would be offered, there is no ram caught in a thicket to take his place on Calvary in the hill region of Mount Moriah. His time has come, and he is ready to be slaughtered, the innocent for the guilty. He heard from his father that this is going to be the victory over Satan, Golgotha, <clears throat> where David slew Goliath and the dragon in Revelation was slain and humanity will be reconciled to his father. All these history lines are coming to a head representing Jesus. Sure, Jesus physically has to endure the agony of a suffering servant, but now his mental agony is over. This warrior is armed not by physical sword for battle, but armed confirmed by his father's revealed will for battle, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. His mind is settled, confirmed in the spirit to do his dad revealed, through his dad's revealed answer. As God's son in the flesh, he can now endure the cross before him. So have you ever agonized over a decision you had to make and prayed for an answer? This is what Jesus' agony in the Garden of Gethsemane was all about. He got his answer from his father, who has his back. And finally, I want to quote from David Horowitz's new book, Dark Agenda, The War to Destroy America. You may have heard of it. David Horowitz is a, a leading uh, conservative thinker. He describes how some people, and I'm putting it mildly, 
view prayer as some magical incantation to make them bulletproof. They have a disdain for those who pray, seeking an answer. Horowitz is summarizing and trying to capture this prevailing sentiment in America today. Quote, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Christ prayed to be delivered from the, garden, from the agony of the cross, but he ended his prayer, nevertheless, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. The answer to Christ's prayer was silence, and he was later crucified on a Roman cross. Not so, not so, that is my whole point. That is precisely my point that I'm making here this morning. Just the opposite stance from those that deny effectual prayer. Jesus prayed and he did hear from his father. He acted not from silence, but from his father's answer, my son, you have to drink this cup I'm giving you. It's the father's cup he has for his son to drink so that we will have eternal life. Praise Jesus for being our lion who acted like our lamb. God indeed is our provider and that gift is waiting for you. Finally, don't you like to hear that word finally when someone's speaking to you? May I suggest when you're stuck between a rock and a hard place and you're looking for an answer that will give you direction, imitate Jesus and get on your knees and call on God your Father and he will come to you and he will speak to your heart and give you what you need to know. Our Father is always willing and able to meet our needs. That's what, dad, that's what dads do. His resources are infinite, infinitely more available than we ever dreamed about. He wants that relationship with you and he will give you his answer that you are looking for to accomplish for your will in your life. This, my friends, is what the Holy Spirit revealed to me in a Mercedes-Benz dealership. Indeed, it was a spirit-filled day. God be praised. My sermon today is now concluded. <laughs>